Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. If you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been here a lot of times, you might be wondering, necessary endings? Is that really something we ought to be talking about in worship? Well, uh, there was a book written of that name by Dr. Henry Cloud, who's a Christian and a clinical psychologist, and that doesn't mean we ought to do a series based on the book, but Pastor Mark and Brad and I, after reading the book, we agreed that Dr. Cloud is a very uh, wise human being, and particularly when it comes to this idea of endings, necessary endings in relationships, and I do want to clarify something, because somebody came out after the first service this morning and said, you know, does everything you said apply to marriages? And the answer is no. Today I'm going to talk about friendships. Next week we're going to actually talk about marriage and romantic relationships. And then the last week we're going to talk about necessary endings among family members, which is maybe the more challenging of the three. But in any case, um, Dr. Cloud said this, whether we like it or not, endings are part of life. They are woven into the fabric of life itself, both when it goes well and when it doesn't. Getting to the next level always requires ending something, leaving it behind and moving on. Without the ability to end things, people stay stuck, never becoming who they are meant to be, never accomplishing all that their talents and abilities should afford them. Here at New Life, we are committed to helping one another become all that God created us to be, all that we can do based on the spiritual gifts and abilities and skills that God has given us. And a couple weeks ago, When we dedicated the galaxy, I reminded us that Jesus established a pattern. He gave leaders in the church so that the leaders can equip the saints or the members of Jesus' body uh, to do the work of ministry. And that work of ministry is not busy work. In fact, we're actually told in Ephesians 4 what the product, if you will, is supposed to be. And here's what Paul wrote. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So God wants us to grow up. He wants us to be mature. He wants us actually to be like his son Jesus in the way we think, in the way we talk, in the way we act. And that's a tall order. And we're not going to ever be able to do that on our own. We need friends if we're going to do that well. And not just any friends. They're going to need to be certain kinds of friends. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Different kinds of friends and the friendships that will move us forward in our life uh, as a follower of Jesus and those that won't. So with that in mind, let's look at today's take-home point. And if if you're here for the first time, watching online for the first time, the take-home point is the one point that I'm going to make today um, that we're going to take home, hopefully, that we're going to think about it, pray about it, and hopefully live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit in the week ahead. And this one's going to seem a bit intense, but the topic we're talking about is a bit intense. And here it is. True friends build us up, but false friends can lead us to destruction. That simply points out what mothers have been telling their children for thousands of years. Be careful who you hang out with because you're going to become like your friends. And what happens when we have a friend who's leading us down the wrong path, maybe even to destruction? Unfortunately, all too often, nothing happens. We, We just keep going with the flow like a log flowing down the river. But all of us probably right now can think of somebody, when I talk about necessary endings, you can say, well, that's right, I know that I need to end my friendship with X, and you know who X is right now, I don't, but you do, but how do I do that? And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, Dr. Cloud 
tells us something very important, and it's the premise of the entire series, and it's this. The good cannot begin until the bad ends. The good cannot begin until the bad ends. If we're going to develop good relationships and, and end bad ones, then we're going to have to know how to do that. We're going to have to look at the context. And here at New Life, that context is always going to be, what did God's people have to say about that? What does God have to say about that? And we're going to turn to a very wise man who lived actually 3,000 years ago. He was the third king of Israel, King Solomon. And uh, you might have heard that name before. We talk about the wisdom of Solomon because he was considered to be the wisest man who ever lived uh, before Jesus. And we're going to look at what he had to say about friendships and sometimes developing and sometimes ending friendships from the book of Proverbs. If you've never read the book of Proverbs, it's a book of wise sayings. Many of them are disconnected. It'd just be one statement. And we're going to look at several statements about friendship, and they're individual statements, but they have powerful principles behind them. Before we turn to the first one, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus told his apostles the night before he died, I no longer call you slaves, but friends. And God, we thank you that we can be friends with you, the God of the universe. And as we talk about this very important matter of friendships and of necessary endings with certain friendships, God, we pray your Holy Spirit will speak to our spirit and that we will learn and grow as a result and that we will be able to take the steps necessary to nurture good friendships healthy friendships, and to end those that aren't healthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, we're going to turn first to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. It might be a verse you want to bookmark in your Bible app, or you might want to underline or highlight it in your Bible. Uh, and it says this, and I'm going to make it so that if you're a woman, you'll know that it includes you, because it does, um, but the language uh, from the ESV is sort of uh, not that way. So a man or woman of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother or sister. Now, it's interesting that 3,000 years before Facebook, King Solomon realized that having too many friends isn't a good thing. Um, you know, today it's possible to have hundreds, I guess even thousands of friends on Facebook. But what Solomon said is, the person with too many friends may come to ruin. Why is that? Well, statistically speaking, the more friends you have, I guess, the more likely there is that there's going to be one that isn't going to be the best kind of friend to have. In fact, one of the most helpful things in the book, Necessary Endings, is all that Dr. Cloud did was take what Solomon said about people and generalize it. King Solomon says there are basically three kinds of people. The three kinds of people are, one, wise people. Two, foolish people or fools. And three, evil people. So when choosing friends, obviously we want to choose wise people. Wise people are people who, when they receive input, can take it into their minds, into their hearts, and they can adjust, they can change. When they do something wrong, they want to fix it. They want to have their life be healthy and growing. Wisdom means healthy and growing, really. It doesn't mean that you have a college degree or two or three. You might not even have a college degree. You don't have to have a college degree to be wise. Wise means how we deal with feedback. And in relationships, there's always feedback. Now, the foolish person is a person who does not take feedback well. In fact, the foolish person, if you say, we have a problem, we need to talk about it, they will say, well, I don't have a problem, it must be your problem. 
In fact, the person who's a fool is always blaming somebody else for everything. It's never their problem. The foolish person in a relationship wants to have the relationship for their benefit. If you benefit, that's okay, but that's not their goal. They really don't care about you. At the end of the day, what they want is they want their life to be better. In fact, foolish people only learn at one time, and that's when there are consequences. If you have a friend and you say, if you need to say to the friend periodically, if you don't stop doing X, I'm going to stop hanging out with you, then you probably have a foolish friend because they go, oh, okay, I didn't realize that was a big problem. And they'll stop doing it for a while because they want the relationship to continue because it's beneficial for them. It really, again, doesn't matter to them if it's beneficial for you, but it's beneficial for them. And the thing about foolish doesn't mean stupid. It doesn't mean, you know, that, that the person isn't smart. In fact, the person who's a fool might be the smartest person in the room. They might have a lot of gifts and abilities. And when they're exercising those things, they seem like a great friend. But then whenever the time comes and you push one of their buttons, they're going to blame you. They're going to push everything back on you and say, well, you know, if you're having a problem, it must be you. Now, the evil person, and, and as soon as I say evil person, some of you are going, come on, Pastor Chris. Yeah, there's people that do bad things, but do you really believe there are evil people? Well, yes, I do, because number one, King Solomon says there are. Number two, I've, seen, I've known evil people. Evil people in friendships, they're not like foolish people because they don't hurt you unintentionally. They hurt you intentionally. All they care about is themselves. All they care about is using you to get what they want. It won't really be a friendship. It'll be a manipulation. But sometimes we don't realize that until we're into that kind of friendship. And the sooner we can end that kind of friendship, the better it will be. Because those are the most necessary of all endings. And Jesus can intervene directly in an evil person's life and change them. But that's the only way they're really going to change. They don't take information and change. They only change from the heart out, which is how we all change. But evil people, it's, it's most necessary for that to happen. And the Apostle Paul reminded the Corinthian church that bad company corrupts good morals. So there's a statement there. What Paul is saying is you need to show the truth and love to everybody, but you don't need to hang out with people who are going to lead you in that direction. So when we know we're facing a necessary ending, whether it's a foolish friendship or maybe it's even a wise person, but you just have too many friendships because we can't have, you know, 100 best friends. If I had three cars and you said to me, which one's the best? I wouldn't say, well, they're all three the best. I would know which one was the best, qualitatively speaking. In the same way, I can't say I have 30 best friends. One of them will be the best friend and so on. But anyway, the point is, what do we do when we need to have a necessary ending? Well, we approach it with the same thing we approach all of our relationships with from being followers of Jesus with truth and love. We talk so much here at New Life about truth and love, holding truth and love together. That is what followers of Jesus do. In fact, we get that from Ephesians chapter 4. When we grow up and we're mature like Jesus, what happens is we can't be fooled as much as we could before we grew up. And it says that we will speak the truth in love. Truth, spoken in isolation, is harsh and it's judgmental. And it's often self-righteous. Love by itself is just sort of goo. It doesn't really have any, any kind of substance or foundation. And so we need to bring truth and love together. And King Solomon offers us another statement that's helpful in this regard when it comes to these necessary endings or even just correcting a relationship that needs correction. And here's what he says. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, 
profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So sometimes what Solomon is saying is we have to wound a person in love because we want to help them. And, and that might actually mean pruning a relationship. And the word pruning comes from horticulture. You know, we prune trees, we prune bushes, we prune plants that we want to grow more healthily. And pruning consists of three aspects when it comes to rose bushes. It actually consists of three aspects when it comes to relationships. The first one is we, first of all, prune and to remove healthy buds or branches that are not the best ones. Sometimes in the spring when the blossoms come on the apple trees, you know, one branch has hundreds of blossoms and they can't produce 100 apples or they'll just be little apples. So we have to take off some of those blossoms to get better apples. Sometimes we need to prune in order to remove sick branches that aren't going to get well because a sick branch is going to infect the rest of the tree or at least a close portion of the tree. And then finally, there are dead branches. And we need to remove the dead branches because they're taking up space needed for healthy growth. And that probably seems a bit harsh when we're talking about relationships. But it isn't harsh. It's hard, but not harsh. And so if you have, let's say we have a couple dozen friends. And we can't invest enough time to be around a couple dozen friends. And most of us, once we start having friends, accumulating friends, it's hard for us to figure out which one's are going to be the ones that really help us to grow and mature and be the person that God created us to be. But we have to look at even the healthy ones, and we have to reduce that number. Obviously, if somebody's a sick friend, most likely going to be a fool. Somebody who is only in it for themselves, they might already be manipulating you. They might be you know, kissing you profusely, to use the term King Solomon used. They'll butter you up. They'll give you compliments because it's helping them to have that relationship that's helping them. And uh, they're not what Pastor Mark called a keeper in his message this past summer when he talked about that friend who sticks closer than a brother, the friend who's there and knows everything about you and loves you anyway. That person, if you called them at 2 o'clock in the morning, they would answer their phone and they would be, be there when you needed them. And, of course, it doesn't seem to even need any comment to say that if somebody's evil, uh, that it's good to prune that branch off. That's the dead branch that isn't going to produce anything but hurt and pain for you. And yet, once again, if we are followers of Jesus, one of the things we often think is, I have to develop all these friends. I have to be, you know, I have to like everybody. My mother used to tell me about my brother Ken, you have to love him. You don't have to like him. Um, and sometimes that's the case in a relationship. Not everybody's likable. Evil people certainly are not. In my, let me clear this up in case my brother's listening online today. I don't think you're evil. I actually like you now, too. Okay, so let's move on. King Solomon offers us another word of instruction when it comes to friends and our capacity for friendship. How many friendships can we really have? He says this, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Now, practically speaking, if you were 15 or 20 miles away in King Solomon's day, you weren't much help. Because 15 or 20 miles away might as well have been 500 miles away or 1,000 miles away. So what King Solomon is saying here is proximity is important. It was geographical proximity in those days. But we would talk about here that potential for the relational proximity. We need to be close and, 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 and able in, in order to be developing a healthy friendship. And, you know, for us, we might not know our next-door neighbor's name. 
back in his day, you would have known your next door neighbors. And those people would have been there when you needed something. And that's what he's saying. Who will be there when you need them? That's the relationship you want to build. It might not be your biological brother. It might be somebody else. In those days, it would have been a friend or even a friend's father. It's interesting. So uh, one of the things I want to say to the men in the room or the men watching online is if I ask you who's your best friend, a lot of you are going to say whoever your best friend in college was or even your best friend in high school. And the reason for that is because we tend to go off into the working world and then we put our focus on our work and our family and we don't continue to develop the kind of friendships we have. Now, that's a rabbit trail and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end that for right now because we're talking about necessary endings. But you have to have friends, a group of friends, before you can find which ones you need to have necessary endings with. So that's a message for another day. Um, but it's hard for us when it comes to friend to always know what a healthy friendship looks like. But wise people are the best choice for friends. And friends who trust Jesus and are growing in their relationship are good candidates. So there's another crucial aspect of pruning when it comes to uh, necessary endings. And that is to recognize that what happens is we go through seasons of life. And in different seasons of life, we'll have different friends. For example, my best friend when I was six was named Tom. He lived across the street from me. He was in class with me in school, and, and he was my best friend. We did everything together. But by the time we were 16, we weren't even friends anymore because he moved to another school. I never saw him. I haven't talked to him for probably 50 years. Then my best friend from high school. I don't even know where he lives these days. My best friend in seminary was a wise person, probably one of the wisest people I've ever known, really good friend, amazing friend, Andy Ross. And Andy Ross and I were, I mean, they used to call Andy and Tad Wicker and I the three musketeers because if you saw one of us, you saw the other two. We were together. But whenever Andy moved to Yakima, Washington after seminary and I moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, made it challenging to have a friendship. And now he lives in Tucson, Arizona, and I live in Cabot, Pennsylvania. Same thing. Now, when I start talking about seasons of life and change, some of you are going to say, well, I lived in Sarver all my life. You know, or I lived in Mars. If you came from Mars, you probably have lived in Mars all your life because it's the highest rate of nativism of any town in America. So if you were born in Mars, you're probably still in Mars. Your grandparents came from Mars, that kind of thing. Um, when I lived in Cincinnati and I would say to somebody, where are you from? They'd say, oh, I'm from, I'm, from, uh, tech, I'm from Arizona. I'm from North Carolina. I'm from New York. And whenever they said that, they weren't even from there either. That just meant they went, were working for GE and they were moving up and down the food chain at General Electric or Procter & Gamble. That's the way it worked. But they weren't going to stay in that one place. But nobody seemed to be from Cincinnati. They just kept moving in and out. But not so much here. But even if you live your whole life in one place, your seasons of life will still change. As a young adult, as a you know, middle-aged adult, an older adult, your friendships will change. People will come and go in your life. Even if it's through their death, that will be an ending, obviously. But we're talking about how do we actually move in relationships? How do we end relationships that either aren't the best for us or actually are hurting us? So the final reason, or before we get to the final reason, let me simply say this. It's endings are easier to embrace and execute when you believe something normal is happening. What we're trying to do and hoping to do during these three weeks of this series is to say relationships are good, obviously. Um, God created us for relationship. Some relationships aren't so good, and so we need to understand that. 
And sometimes, just seasonally, we're going to change from one friend to another friend. And that's natural. And when we see it as natural, it's easier for us to do. Now, the next thing I want to say from Dr. Cloud, it's a really, really important thing about why we don't prune our friendships. It's because we're not realistic. We don't face reality. And I'm going to, it's not going to be up on the screen, but I'm going to read exactly what he said because he said it so well. He says, successful people and successful leaders all have one thing in common. They get in touch with reality. If you're looking for the formula that can get you motivated and fearless, here it is. You must finally see reality for what it is. In other words, that what is not working is not going to magically begin working. If something isn't working, you must admit that what you're doing uh, to get it to work is hopeless. This is an important word, hopeless. The awareness of hopelessness is what finally brings people to the reality of the pruning moment. In that moment, when they wake up, realize that an ending must occur, and finally feel energized to do it, those who have the greatest difficulty abandoning things are often those unable to face reality. So, until we get to the point where we realize, I've had this friend, and it's not been a good friendship for years, but tomorrow, <laughs> I'm going to wake up, and he's going to be the greatest friend in the world. That's not going to happen. In fact, I said at the last service, I'm going to say it again right now, that God will not change another person without that person's permission. So even if I pray for my friend to change, my friend might not change. And this person said, well, doesn't Jesus say if you ask anything in his name, he'll give it to you? Yes, Jesus does say that. So what about this friend? Won't he change that friend? No. It's a principle that if we ask anything in accordance with the will of God, and it's certainly the will of God for us to have relationships that he will do what we ask, but what he will not do is coerce or force someone to believe in him or someone to you know, be friends with me or friends with you. And so we can't just assume that if we pray or if we just you know, hope that everything's going to be good because there are situations that are hopeless. Now, I have said from this stage, hopeless is not a Christian word. And I believe that, actually, but that's one of the other final problems we're going to deal with today. And here it is. The hope, hope is one of the most powerful influences in the universe. It is. And that is the problem. Hope is always about holding on to when it looks bad and being able to hold on to something, sometimes for a long time. But here's the key. There's a difference between real hope and false hope. False hope is a desire with no grounds, no foundation. It's hope based not on reality, but on our desires. In the absence of real, objective reasons to think that more time is going to help, it's probably time for some type of necessary ending. The key question is this. What reason, other than the fact that I want this to work, do I have for believing that tomorrow is going to be different from today? I have had some friendships that I've had to end. And trust me, I do not want to end friendships. I like people. I love people. And I believe that God can change anybody. But when it comes to the realization, finally, after so long, this friendship is not going to go anywhere because this person isn't going to change. What happens is, and the relationship ends, it's like I've been dragging an anchor along behind me, and I didn't realize there was an anchor there until it was gone. That's the way it happens. And the, the, there's just a feeling of a weight being lifted off. Now, if you have a necessary ending to make with a friend and you're committed to doing it in truth and love, it's going to be hard on the front end because it's never easy to end anything. We like things to be the same. But down the road, and it won't be very far down the road, 
It will be better. I'd like to think that it will always be better for the other person, but if that person is stuck, if that person's evil and they don't get Jesus, it's not going to be better for them. If that person is a fool and they're not learning from the situation, it might not be better for them. But sometimes we do have to do what is the better thing for ourselves in order for us to grow and ultimately be able to be a better friend for those around us. When I used to teach Class 101, and this is sort of a, uh, I'm going to say instead of necessary ending, that sometimes I've had to say necessarily I can't even begin friendships because I like people, as I said. I like to be liked. In fact, my personality type likes affirmation of other people. But I've learned I can't be friends with everybody. A few months ago, I said this from the stage. I said, I'm probably not going to go to lunch with most of you. And uh, thank you for laughing. Um, but it's the truth. I'm not. I'm not ever going to go to lunch with most of you. And, and frankly, in Class 101, I would say, you know, this is probably the most one-on-one time you're ever going to get with me. You might not ever, I might not ever have a chance to sit down with you in your home and talk with you. And that's truer now than it was when I used to teach Class 101. Last weekend, there were 946 people here in the weekend. So that means I can't be all your friend. That, that means that there's too many buds for me to be able to nurture all of them. And what does that mean? It means that here at New Life, what we said when we started New Life, that we were going to be a church of small groups, not a church with small groups, is truer than ever. You need a small group. I need a small group of people where nurturing friendships is possible and doable. 7 to 10, 12, 15 people. That's a number that's really doable. You can know everybody by name. You can get to know what their needs are. You can get to know what their joys are. You can get to know what, what your affinities are. And maybe one of those people will ultimately become your best friend. And I'm not saying you have to find your best friend in a small group at New Life. What I'm saying is in a small group at New Life, you can get to know people in a real way. And everybody here needs to know Jesus, but we all don't need to know each other. I, I wish I could. I don't even know everybody's name. I wish I did. I finally got Ron's name right today, and Ron is out there, and he knows who he is. Um, but it took me, you know, weeks to get to that point. And, and that's not a bad thing. It's only a bad thing if we assume that because we're a church, we have to be friends with everybody. And, and Solomon told us having too many friends can lead to our ruin, our destruction, even if it's just because it wears us out trying to maintain all the relationships. So one of the many things I love about being the pastor of New Life is that we genuinely do know how to welcome people. We genuinely do know how to share the love of Jesus with people. Nobody here is ever a visitor. That, you know, a visitor, somebody comes to your door, you didn't expect them. And, and so you say, please go on. But guests are people that are expected. Nancy and I are having the staff over for a Thanksgiving party this coming Friday. And we, when they come, we're going to welcome them. We're going to hug them. We're glad they're there. And we have that ability to do that for lots of people here at New Life. And we mean it, genuinely. And we love Jesus. And we can share that love with other people. But what we cannot do, and, and, and we know this, is we cannot be the best friend of everybody. And so we provide environments where that can happen more and more and more. Wednesday night is an incredible night here at New Life. Now, since we opened the Galaxy eight or ten weeks ago, we're able to have a small group night where you can bring your children and have them play and have fun while you get to develop adult relationships with one another and have friendships that are meaningful and significant centered around some topic or theme comes from the Bible. And again, you don't have to have all your friendships from the church. But as we talk about healthy friendships, this is a place where we can provide that for one another. And as we move forward 
The one thing, the one relationship, really the one relationship we all have to have is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He has to become Lord and Savior in our lives. If you don't have that today, whether you're here in the room, whether you're watching online, let me, let me explain why it's so important. Jesus is God in the flesh. He knows all about us and he loves us <laughs> absolutely so much that he died for us. He rose on the, uh, on the third day and he returned to heaven and he sent his spirit to those who trust him as Savior and Lord. And Savior means he saved us from sin, he saved us from death, he saves us for a life of meaning and purpose, a life of hope. But Lord means he gets to take over and he gets to guide and tell us how to live our lives because he's the owner of our lives from that point forward. We transfer ownership from ourselves to him. Once we have that relationship straight, then we will know which relationships we can invest in and build to be that kind of friend that's a keeper, the kind of friend that Pastor Mark talked about where, you know, we do have each other's back, where we know every, you know, little dark thing, but we still care. And, and who can't be that? We'll know when it's time for necessary endings. So trust Jesus, and if you've never done that, I always say this, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's simple because it's just doing what I said. Admit that you need somebody else running your life because you haven't done a great job of it. Admit that you're a sinner, that you're fallen, and that Jesus is the only hope for restoration, for redemption, for a new life. And then invite him to take over. Just release control and let him take over. And that's the hard part. And then once that happens, living into that day by day by day. So after we've done that, we can do what the next step says here. The next step for this week is, I will end unhealthy friendships and nurture healthy ones this week. So facing the truth of our current friendships is so much easier once Jesus is Savior and Lord. Because number one, Jesus is perfect, and we can see what the standard of a perfect relationship is. Self-sacrifice, giving, caring, all of those things. And not that we're going to judge our friends based on Jesus, because nobody's like that. But we will be able to know what a healthy relationship looks like. And then we can develop the wise relationships we have and the deeper relationship with that one or two or just a handful of people that can really help us to grow to be more like Jesus. And the necessary endings, they will never become easy. But they'll become easier because we know it's ultimately for our good that God is going to have us move in that direction too. So let's... Look at this next step, and let's take it seriously. You know some friendships that need to be nurtured. You haven't invested enough time. And you know some friendships that need to be ended. And now with Solomon's help and Jesus' help, we can go out and we can live into that in a way that ultimately glorifies God and builds up our family, our body of Jesus, so that we become more and more mature, more and more like him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you again that you love us and you're able to love every person, everywhere, all the time. God, we're limited. We're finite. We can't do that. And so we pray today. I pray for those who have not yet trusted Jesus that even in this moment they will. Those who have trusted Jesus, all of us who have, God, that we will take one more step in obedience to you this week by developing the healthy relationships, and by ending those that are not. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.